Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 75. So then guys, we are at the 75th episode. What a joyous time that is. And to celebrate this occasion, I'm starting a new ongoing series, which is Bounty Hunters, which if any of you guys have been listening to previous episodes, you will know that I've tackled a few Bounty Hunters comics because they are intertwined with the War of the Bounty Hunters, big crossover event, which I have been tackling. So thought it'd be a good time to tackle this volume. And then in a few weeks time, I'll tackle the second volume. And then that will be all up to date with the Bounty Hunters stuff with the War of the Bounty Hunters, which will mean that I think that the main run of Star Wars, the 2020 run, and the Darth Vader 2020 run are the last two ongoing series that I need to do to then be up to date with the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover. So um, that's very exciting. If you're unaware of the War of the Bounty Hunters, then shame on you because it's amazing and I talk about it all the time. But it's basically a big crossover event about Han Solo being frozen in carbonite and everyone trying to buy it and steal it off Boba Fett and all these sorts of other things. But if you're interested by that, go over to episode 60 of Star Wars Comics in Canon, where I tackle the War of the Bounty prelude which connects all of the ongoing series all together to the main story and then every four episodes or so I then do the next volume including you know the War of the Bounty Hunters miniseries and then Darth Vader, Doctor Aphra, Star Wars and the Bounty Hunters series which all link into that and then also the companions you know the Jabba the Hutt comic, Boosh, Four Lum and Suckers that sort of thing. But focusing specifically on Bounty Hunters, this very comic I'm tackling today, centers around a character called Baylert Valance, but I'll talk a little bit more about him in a moment. And if this is your first time with Star Wars Comics and Canon, in brief, I go through the plot details of each of the comics, and I also talk about the connections to other content. I talk about some of the ships, some of the species, some of the character bios, some of the planets, those sorts of things. So either if you've never read a Star Wars comic, you can listen to these episodes and have a good idea of what's going on in the canon, as well as some cool trivia information. Or if you've already read these, it's a good way to be a refresher, but also to point out some of the things that you may have missed. Uh, So with that in mind, let's get into the comic information. So this is volume one, so it's going to be issues one to five. The first volume, the arc, as well as the trade paperback, is called Galaxy's Deadliest. Issue number one was out March 2020. Issue number five was out September 2020. And the trade paperback collection was out November 2020. The writer for this is Ethan Sachs. The artist is Paolo Villanelli. And the colour artist is Arif Prianto. So before I read the crawl out to you guys and get into issue number one, just a few other bits and pieces to mention. So this comic series takes place after Empire Strikes Back, which in the timeline is three years after the Battle of Yavin. The Battle of Yavin was the battle that destroyed the Death Star in A New Hope. Empire Strikes Back is three years after that, and then Return of the Jedi is about a year after Empire Strikes Back. So this comic series, as well as all of the other 2020 runs of series that are ongoing, Doctor Aphra, Star Wars, Darth Vader, and this one, they all take place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. 
Now, there are actually two prequel comics to Bounty Hunters, one of which is not really a prequel. It's kind of like a very light one. And the other one is much more of a prequel. So there's Han Solo Imperial Cadet, which is the first canon appearance of Baylor Valance. I tackled that in episode 10, Star Wars Comics in Canon. It's basically over the period of time where Han Solo was in the Empire. You saw like a flash forward in the film Solo. It's basically what happened there. And it's one of the first showings of who Valance is. It's an alright comic. It's not bad. It's not amazing, but it's all right. It's not like essential to understand Baylor Valance because the main prequel comic is Target Vader. Now, I tagged that in episode 49 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and Target Vader is a mini series. It's involving Baylor Valance and Dengar, and it does some flashbacks to Han Solo Imperial Cadets. You get a lot of that information already, and also adds a lot more weight to his character. So, I do recommend people read Target Vader. It was one of the mini series that before doing this podcast, I was like, I'm not really fast because I know Vader survives, but when you actually get into it and read it, Bounty Hunters hunting Darth Vader. It's, it's quite an interesting concept and I think it was executed very well and I really, really liked Baylor Valance as a character. So I would recommend checking that out. As I said, episode 49 of Star Wars Comics and Canon if you don't fancy reading the comic or picking it up yourself, but you want to know the broad strokes of the plot and some of the other bits of information. And the last thing before the crawl is a bit of exciting news for me. I'm going to talk about it more right at the very end because I don't like to ramble too much at the start because I know a lot of you guys just want to hear about the comics. But the artist for Bounty Hunters is Paolo Villanelli. He's done artist work for a lot of other Marvel titles, quite a lot of Star Wars stuff. And I was lucky enough to sit down and have an hour-long conversation with him the other day. I've recorded it and I will be releasing it on my other podcast, Genuine Chit Chat. As you guys know, I've spoken to other people involved with Star Wars. I spoke with Claudia Gray in December 2020. I spoke with Alex and Molly Styles Explained about a month or so ago. I spoke to Dominic Pace, who is in The Mandalorian, two episodes, I believe, in series one. I spoke to him earlier in the year as well. And if you're listening on YouTube, you can just go into my Star Wars Conversations playlist and it shows all of the people I've spoken to who are either involved in Star Wars or conversations about Star Wars. Also, you can just type in into wherever you're listening to this podcast, genuine chit chat, and then type in, you know, Claudia Gray or Star Wars Explained or Dominic Pace, any of those sorts of things, or just go on my feed and you can scroll down and find it for yourself. The titles are fairly self-explanatory, but very, very excited to speak to Paolo Villanelli. And that episode should be out sort of early November sort of time. I'll let you guys know in future episodes because, you know, there's going to be a couple more episodes before then, but I just wanted to let you guys know because I was very excited and it was a delightful conversation. So one to throw that out there plug my other show make sure you go subscribe to genuine chit chat or if you're on youtube subscribe so you'll see when that all comes up and there will be a video version i'll be uploading to youtube as well so if you want to see paolo villanelli you know kudos to you you can see it there he's a good looking chap and you get to see my mug talking to him as well so lots of fun there but with that in mind guys let's get into the comics so um, i'm gonna read the crawl for you the Rebel Alliance is all but defeated after the Battle of Hoth. The Empire has redoubled their efforts to crush the scattered freedom fighters. While the Civil War consumes the galaxy, the underworld thrives. Smugglers, mercenaries, and thieves serve crime syndicates and cartels that vie for influence, territory, and profit. Skilled and ruthless bounty hunters, some of the most dangerous killers in the galaxy, scour systems to track down wanted criminals for the highest price. Three of these hunters, Valance, Bosk, and Boba Fett, are considered some of the best, and they have a history with each other, one that's about to put them on a deadly collision course. So I want to clarify with this volume of Bounty Hunters, there's quite a lot of flashbacks going forward and backwards. Generally speaking, all the flashbacks are just then it's called. So it's like several years ago. I will try and make it clear when it's a, you know a flashback and then flash forward and things, but I just want to clarify that before getting into it to try and prevent any confusion. So it starts off with then, obviously a flashback, on Corellia at the Unbroken Clan's base. The base is being attacked by Bosk, Nakano Lash, Camus, T'ongor, Boba Fett, 
and Baylor Valance. Valance and Boba Fett seem to have some sort of bad blood between them, but the gang anyway find a person, and then Camus, this gentleman, goes to shoot one of them. Nakano Lash then shoots Camus, who is their employer who hired them, and it's confirmed that Nakano Lash is Baylor to Valance's mentor. Boba Fett is very unhappy that Nakano Lash blew the mission, and then it cuts forward to now. So a few things to unpack there. So Corellia, that's a place that is made famous in canon from Solo. That's where Han Solo's from. I believe it's where Dengar's from as well. And it's one of the more core worlds. And also there's a mention of Lady Proxima and Mourner's Whale Syndicates as well. The Unbroken Clan Syndicate and the Mourner's Whale Syndicate, they are both created for the comics. They're in this, they pop up I think in Doctor Aphra as well. And then they are somewhat central to the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event as well. But all that kind of gets unpacked as this comic run goes on. Lady Proxima, she is the strange worm thing at the start of Solo. And she is actually a Grindalid. Then you've got Bosk, who is probably the galaxy's most famous Trandoshan. So Trandoshan, derogatory speaking, they're kind of like dinosaur lizard people. They generally have a very strong dislike of Wookiees. It's not explicitly clarified why that is. It's generally because Wookiees and Trandoshans are very strong creatures. And as they're both sentient, they don't get along very well because Trandoshans, generally speaking, quite like to be the ones in power. They can be very aggressive and they don't like people who are strong enough to be able to challenge them very easily. You've got Nakano Lash. She is a Nautilan. Uh, the most famous Nautilan, I'd say, is Kit Fisto. He is in the prequel trilogy. He is in the Clone Wars as well. He's got an amazing Jamaican accent, and he's actually Megan's favorite Jedi, aside from like Ahsoka and some of the main ones. And you get to see him force push C-3PO when his head is on a battle droid in the Genosis arena. And he does get killed by Palpatine when him, Saya Teen, and Mace Windu and Agent Kolar go and confront Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith. He's got those tentacles and the big eyes. He can breathe underwater and he's in a couple of Clone Wars arcs. As I said, I think he's in the series four start. I think it's Water War when they go to Mon Cala and things. I believe he's in there. But yeah, Nakano Lash is a female Nautilan. Camus is just a human. Obviously, he got shot right at the start of this, but he was their employer. Toongor, he's once again another human. Boba Fett, you guys should know enough about Boba Fett. I think I've given him quite a lot of bio information over these episodes, but if you didn't know, go watch Attack of the Clones and then you'll find out. And then Baylor Valance, he is a cyborg. So he started his life as a human in the Han Solo Imperial Cadet comics. He was in this quite horrendous accident, like a ship crashed and things. And then the Empire fixed him a little bit. He went on a couple more missions and then he kept doing things and then getting heavily damaged. And eventually the Empire kind of repaired him and then kicked him out of the Empire and he felt a bit lost. I believe after leaving the Empire, I think one other thing happened to him. It's all detailed in the Target Vader episode, so go check that out. But he basically served the Empire. He just wanted to do them proud and wanted to, you know, have some sort of purpose in life. Han Solo saved him in a lot of ways, both physically and also his kind of mental well-being and spiritually in some ways, which does get delved into in the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover. And because of all of the repair work he had to get done, he is almost all cybernetic. So he basically has his organs. He's got these cybernetics that connect to nerves so he can feel the majority of things. His general head is is filled with his you know brain and general organs but a lot of his bone and stuff has been replaced with metal and on his face he wears something called synth skin so it basically looks like a person and then when you rip it off it looks a lot like terminator so you know obviously the arnold schwarzenegger films and that franchise 
you see in pretty much all the films, you get to see, a, I think it's a T-100, when they don't have any skin on. That's kind of what Valance looks like. And actually, Valance started in the Star Wars Legends comics all the way back in the late 70s and early 80s. So he's a really, really old character. I'm pretty sure that he was in like a few arcs and things, and then he dies, and then obviously he just didn't appear again until now in the canon. And I think in the canon, he's a really, really cool character. I'm, I'm so happy these come back. Obviously, I, I didn't know about him in Legends, but from what I t- did some research when I heard about him, I just think his new character in the canon is really, really cool. And I also believe that I think in issue five, both the digital version and the physical version, and I think it's in the trade paperbacks as well, right at the very end, you actually get to see this huge readout of Baylor Valance. You get to see like what stuff he's got, like hand blasters, what part of him is cybernetic, what part of him isn't. It's a really, really cool image. I'll try and remember to take a photo of it and put it up on Patreon. And then and then when I release this episode online, I'll do a post about it on social media. I'll try and remember to post it on there as well, because it's really, really cool. So in short, the start of this is just a group of bounty hunters doing a job for someone and then they get to find whatever their target is and then something happens and then the leader of the kind of group of them, the Kano Lash, ends up killing the person who employed them and you don't really know why and that's what this whole kind of volume is about. So it cuts to now where Valance is having a shootout with some Devaronians. Uh, Devaronians, they basically are like devil people, um, hence the name. Uh, there's one in The Mandalorian. You see him in series one when there's that like prison break kind of episode. And it's made by, I think it's Clancy Brown, the guy's name. He's got a very iconic voice and he also voices a character in Star Wars Rebels. But you can also get to see a Devaronian in the cantina in A New Hope as well. They're basically generally red-skinned humanoids with horns coming out the top of their heads. So he's having a shootout with this Devaronian. Devaronian gang, and he needs to try and take them alive for a bounty. While he's kind of shooting them and fighting them, he is speaking to his droid, who is called 94L. So Valance ends up killing quite a few of these Devaronians. As he's a cyborg, he can take quite a lot of beatings. You know, if he gets shot in the arm, for example, although he can feel it and it can sometimes make his arm like not work, he wouldn't bleed out because of all the metal casing. So as Valance is pursuing the last one, he tries to use his palm blaster. So forgive if my accent being British, palm sounds weird. So the palm of your hand, he's got a way to shoot energy out of his hands, which is really, really cool. I love that element of it, but they're not working. (laughs) So he keeps trying to use it and it just keeps not working. The Devaronian is then on a speeder and then it goes straight towards Valance as he's trying to use his palm blaster. And then in the last moment, he manages to grab this metal pole, smashes the Devaronian speeder and the Devaronian is alive and the amount he'll get for the bounty will just about cover, you know, fuel costs and all those sorts of other things. But his droid tells him that there is a new offer that's come in that he'll want to see. Meanwhile, on the moon of Logal Ri, which is elsewhere in the canon, there's a character called Tonga. That's T-apostrophe-O-N-G-A. She's leaving her wife, Losha, and this farm life behind, like a nice simple life, to get revenge after her brother, Toongor, has died. He was a member of that group at the start. And her people have a special connection to their twins, which makes his death even more impactful to her. Meanwhile, it shows that Bosk is at a cantina, and Afra and Black Chrysanthemum appear. Black Chrysanthemum and Bosk have a fight because Black Chrysanthemum is a Wookiee and as I said earlier, Wookiees and Trandoshans generally don't get along. Dr. Afra tells them to stop and she has information on where she, in quotations, has been hiding. She being someone that obviously Bosk is trying to locate. And if you aren't familiar with Dr. Aphra, she's one of the greatest comic, well, she's one of the greatest characters in Star Wars, but she at the moment is only in comics aside from the Dr. Aphra audiobook, which kind of is an alternate version of events with her time with Darth Vader. If you want to know more about Dr. Aphra and you don't want to pick up her comics, then you can either check out episode 15 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, which is where I tackled the first volume of the 2015 run of Darth Vader comics by Kieran Gillen. That's where Dr. Aphra was introduced. Or if you want to just kind of shortcut that and get a vague summary, in episode 
episode 30 of Styles Comics and Canon, myself and my friend Tony Farina, who's also on the network of Comics in Motion. He does Indie Comic Spotlight, as well as Seasons Greetings and also Pop Gorillas. Me and him have a t- conversation about Afra, how she was with Vader, what we want from her going forward in the series, that sort of thing. So I really recommend those because Afra is such a cool character. I'd say, you know, pick up the comics and things, but start in the parts where she was with Vader or listen to the Dr. Afra audiobook because as I said, it's kind of like a journal of her experiences with Vader from her perspective. And it's almost like an extended edition of her time with Vader. You hear a lot of the things, but there's also little gaps in between you don't hear about. And, you know, hearing stuff from Dr. Afra's perspective is really cool. She's just like the, the antithesis of Indiana Jones, but she's a very clever individual, rogue archaeologist, but she doesn't appear elsewhere in this. I just love Dr. Afra. So um, moving swiftly on. The cantina specifically that Bosk and Afra were at is a place called Carbon Score Cantina. It's on a planet called Burnin' Con, um, and it's shown in Star Wars Uprising. And the planet Burnin' Con as well is in Season 2, Episode 7 of The Mandalorian. Uh, you may remember it, it's where Miggs Mayfield comes back, and they go into an Imperial base, and then there's a conversation about Operation Cinder. And Operation Cinder, that's basically Palpatine's contingency plan. When he dies, he basically makes a lot of Imperial and re- Rebel alliance planets get heavily damaged or destroyed by these satellites issue down beams and cause like world ending stuff it's mental there's a lot to talk about the operation cinder it's not relevant here i've talked about it in previous episodes but it's worth looking up if you haven't already so anyway back to the story you've got a character called syfak who tries to give a bounty to valant who declines Syfak appears in the first volume of the 2020 Afro run, and I tackled that in episode 71. He's basically just a guy who, when a bounty goes out, he contacts loads of bounty hunters and tries to give it to them. After the Lance declines, another character called Uris wants the bounty. And Uris is a Thys Piasian. I pronounce it quite badly, but it's basically he's a character a lot like Operancisis, which I think I talked about in the last episode, oddly enough, Star Wars Comics and Canon. They're basically like kind of from the torso down, it's like a snake tail, but from the torso up, it's like four arms, kind of reptilian, but they're quite hairy. They grow like big beards and lots of hair and things. And Operancisis was a Jedi in the prequel era, and I think he lived for ages, so he's in the High Republic era as well. But that's what species it is. It's kind of hard. It's T H I S S. P-I-A-S-I-A-N. So this Piasian, I believe is how it's pronounced. But anyway, this guy Uris wants the bounty, so Syfak gives it to him, but then also calls Boba Fett. Boba Fett also accepts, and it shows that he has Solo in his ship, the Slave One. And for funsies, the Slave One model is a modified Fire Spray 31 class patrol and attack craft. And no, to anyone getting triggered, the Boba Fett's ship is called Slave One. It has not been rebranded and renamed as Boba Fett's ship. There was just a Lego set that came out and they called it Boba Fett's ship because a lot of kids and a lot of parents buying stuff for kids won't know that the slave one is Boba Fett's ship. But if they just call it Boba Fett's ship, it's a lot easier to market. But yeah, that's where issue number one ends. So let's move on to issue number two. So issue two starts with Valant and his droid on a planet called Iraidu. I think I always pronounce it wrong. It's E-R-I-A-D-U. It's a place where Tarkin is from. It's his homeworld. And it's also in the Light of the Jedi High Republic novel as well. They're at a safe house that is full of dead bodies, including Valance's contact. It then shows a flashback, which is a thug dragging a young boy away, and Valance is at a bar just drinking. He sees it all kind of going on, some stormtroopers are in pursuit as well, and it also shows Nakano Lash, the Nautilan, and Toonga nearby at a table, with someone called Jawstack. 
Nakano Lash can see what's going on and she wants to help the boy. But before she can do anything like that, Valance springs into action and then attacks the person who's taking the boy away and then starts yelling at the Empire, saying that, you know, no one should trust them, that he lost everything to them and that they said they were going to bring order and all they're doing is ruining everything. And he's like killing stormtroopers and fighting them on things. And more and more stormtroopers keep showing up. And then Nakano Lash kind of steps in and helps take some of them out. She basically saves Valance's life and this gentleman named Corstek says that he'll be able to fix Valance. Because obviously, as I said, he's a cyborg. So a lot of damage he takes, you have to go to like a mechanic to fix him. So it cuts back to now and shows that Valance is at a camera terminal at this safe house that was full of dead people. The terminal did get shot, but because Valance is a cyborg, he can kind of plug into certain things. And so he plugs in and sees some video footage of Boba Fett killing Corstek, who mentions the planet Galmera. So Valance leaves and goes off to Galmera, and that Thys Piacian, I seem to pronounce it differently every time I say it, Uris, follows Valance who is leaving. Meanwhile, Bosk is already at Galmera, and it's a graveyard planet, and it shows that Toonga is at the Fortress of the Mourner's Whale. She causes a distraction, and then manages to sneak in, kills a few of them, and then gets surrounded. And she speaks with Lord Kamdek about Nakano Lash, and she wants to avenge her brother. Then back to Valance, who is now on Galmera, and he is at Nakano Lash's parents' grave. And there's this kind of orb thing, which is seemingly like a memorial, but there's a very strange smell there. And the droid actually says that the smell is part of the Nautilan language, and that they communicate through smells and that sort of thing, as well as spoken language. So Valance puts his hands in this strange water bubble thing, and it actually changes the scent somehow into map coordinates that his droid can understand. And then Bosk shows up. He points a gun at Valance, confirming that Nakano Lash betrayed all of them, and then he fires the gun and it lets off this big explosion. And that is where issue number two ends. So issue number three starts with that Uris guy waiting by Valance's ship. While he's waiting, he sees his droid and then decides to get his droid to see if there's any information in his head. Meanwhile, on a planet called Rusan, a hooded figure mentions some clues left behind for Valance, and he's talking to a blind man. Now, Rusan is actually in Clone Wars Series 1, Episode 7. It is also in the book Tarkin, and it's mentioned in a couple of other places, but it was actually first in the Legends game, Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. It's not really elsewhere very much, aside from those small places, but, you know, fun little connections there. So now, to where Bosk and Valance were. So obviously, Bosk a moment ago shot an explosive at Valance, and it's confirmed that Valance managed to avoid that. And now they're having a shootout in this graveyard world. They're like fighting and tussling and things and shooting at each other and etc. Some really cool action scenes I recommend, you know, reading. But Valance's gun then breaks and his hand blaster still isn't working. So he jumps at Bosk and punches him in the face. Bosk then swipes at Valance and catches his face, ripping off more of his synth skin. So now more of the sort of robot side of his face is showing. And Bosk also mentions that he should have killed him years ago. So it's time for another flashback. So the flashback is before that whole job that went wrong happened. And it's got the character Toongo speaking to his sister Toonga. Obviously, Toonga is the female who is now out trying to get revenge for the death of Tongo. And it shows that Toonga has just settled down with her wife, which obviously was mentioned slightly earlier. So Valance is now waiting to talk to a character called Urala Vega. Now, Urala Vega is called Eula in Target Vader. It's just like an abbreviation of her name. It's basically just Valance's love interest. He left the planet there on, I think it was called Chorin, to join the Imperial Academy to try and like do something to you know get off this rock and make some money and kind of do something in the universe. And 
Target Vader kind of showed that he really struggled with going back to her while being a cyborg. And it's just something that he always feels very self-conscious about and struggles with. And, you know, he wants to be with her, but he feels like she could do better because he's now like barely a man. That sort of thing. So that's who she is to him. So while Valance is waiting to talk to her, then Bosk makes a comment about the synthetic skin that Valance is wearing, saying that just because you've got a bit of synthetic skin, she's going to love you. He kind of mocks him and then kind of walks away a bit. Valance then calls Urala, and then before she manages to answer, he hangs up and walks away. So Bosk mocks him and calls him pathetic. So then they grab each other and they're like butting heads. And then Nakano Lash comes out and stops the fight. She mentions that they're already one person down and they don't need those two to kill each other. And then Bosk mentions they could get Boba Fett involved because he knows it. So Nakano Lash agrees and says to get Boba involved and then talks about the escort job. In essence, the scion of the Mourner's Whale syndicate needs to assassinate someone and he basically needs someone to go there with him to kind of help him do it in a sense and the offer is for 100,000 credits. Cut back to now to Bosca and Valance's fight. Bosk manages to catch Valance's nerve circuit in his arm, and he mentions that when he got fixed up numerous times, he paid attention to when Valance was getting fixed, so he would know his kind of weaknesses and things. So Valance loses any use in his right arm. In retaliation, Valance then smashes quite a big rock right over Bosk's head and knocks him out. He then handcuffs Bosk and then just leaves him there. So Valance then heads to his ship and finds 94L's headless body there. Clearly, Uris has taken his head, and Uris is on the way to Rusan. Then the last few pages of this show two different things. So the first one is there's some thugs packing some spice for Kamdek, who is like the head of the mourner's whale, and General Vakura shoots them all. Now, Vakura is a member of the Broken Clan Syndicate. She's like a general. She's basically the second highest person in the organization, but the person who is highest is just an old man who's basically locked himself away in a tower for like a long period of time due to grief, which will get explained later on. But Vakura shows up continuously throughout the War of the Bounty Hunters. In fact, in one of the previous episodes I did in the Doctor Afro comics, Sana Staros is actually running away from her and shoots her in the eye. So she survives that, but you know, there's a little bit after these sorts of events. But after Vakura, you know, shoots all these people and is shown to be very, very ruthless, it's confirmed that Nakano Lash contacted the Broken Clan and surrendered. It then shows Nakano Lash is coughing, and it shows that she was the hooded figure who was talking to the blind man. She's at coughing and things, clearly ill with something, and then she opens a door and sees that Uris has got a kid at gunpoint. And all while this is all happening, these two things, also on Valance's ship, Toonga is there and confronts Valance. So issue four starts on Valance's ship, and it's called the Broken Wing. Now in Legends, the ship was actually called the Kill Switch. It looks quite different. It wasn't the same ship at all, so this is a new thing. But you actually first saw the ship in Target Vader. But yeah, so the Broken Wing, it looks a little bit like a U-Wing, uh, which is something that you would have seen in Rogue One. Um, you know, all the ships that the Rebels seem to fly are relatively all named after a letter, and then it's quite obvious sort of what they look like. And so the U-Wing obviously looks like a U, but when it wants to go into, you know, attack mode or anything like that, the kind of sticky outy parts of the U fold back and it becomes more like a straight line sort of thing. That's the general idea of what a U-Wing looks like, and the Broken Wing is kind of similar to that. So Toonga and Valance have a talk and things, it's just kind of character development in certain ways, and they're talking about like reminiscing and things, and then Tonga puts a modified restraining bolt onto Valance so that she can shock him whenever she wants. Meanwhile, Uris has got that kid, and it's confirmed that the kid is actually a girl. She's quite young, has short hair and things, and Nakano Lash is trying to get Uris off this girl. So Uris hits Nakano Lash, and then the girl that he's got with his tail wrapped around her has a concealed blade, and she pulls it out and stabs him in the face, which is quite brutal. These Bounty Hunter comics are really, really cool. There's a lot of uh, intense fighting that goes on. 
Then while Urus is distracted by, you know, being stabbed in the face, Nakano gets a blade that was in a hidden compartment in the place that they're kind of living in. Slices off one of the arms of Urus and then manages to kill him with his own tail. So she wraps it round his neck. He's like choking out and things. And then she does a quick twisting movement and you see a large snap. And then Urus is no more. So then they head to their ship. Shortly afterwards, Valance and Taonga get to Urus's corpse, and so they head to the nearby village to try and find out where Nakano went. Meanwhile, it shows that Bosk is still handcuffed, and he is attached to like a pole of some sort, and someone finds him, gets information from him that Valance is at Rusan, and then knocks him out and leaves him there. So back to Valance and Tonga, they try talking to some of the people in the village, but they're quite hostile, and they then attack pretty quickly, fairly unprovoked. And they're attacking not only with blasters and things, but also with a Nexu. Now, a Nexu is something I've mentioned numerous times in this show. It's essentially, in Attack of the Clones, when you've got the Genosian Colosseum arena bit, where you've got Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Padme, and the three beasts kind of fight them, the beast that attacks Padme is a Nexu. So it's kind of like an alien hyena-y sort of thing. That's kind of the best way to describe it. And for fun facts, the other two creatures there, there is a Reek, which is the big rhino-y thing that charges at Anakin, and then there's the Acklay, that's like a giant praying mantis-y thing that attacks Obi-Wan. But yeah, Nexu is what is in this comic. So Toonga is shooting at these villagers that are coming out and Valance is tussling with the Nexu, you know, trying to hold his own somewhat. And then before anyone gets like horrendously hurt, aside from, you know, a couple of villagers that Toonga shot, a blind guy intervenes. He asks them not to kill the Nexu as the Nexu is just a cub. And then Toonga mentions that the her and her cyborg companion are looking for someone and then the blind guy says is that cyborg by any chance Valance and then when it's confirmed he says right well Nakano Lash told me to pass on a message to you and she's currently in a ship in some wreckage in space so it shows that it's a small ship in this wreckage that was from the Clone Wars there's like some pieces of Separatist ships and Republic ships and things probably from that Clone Wars series one episode seven that I mentioned slightly earlier because obviously it's the system of Rusan and it's quite a clever place to hide you have a small ship there and if you power it down and things people won't even really notice you're there so Valance gets in their ship and then goes up to where they are and his ship connects with the ship that Nakano lashes on and they find Nakano and the girl. So Nakano then decides to explain all the way back years ago what really happened on this fateful time where the job went wrong. So that guy, Camus, who hired them for the job, he was actually trying to kill his pregnant girlfriend because in essence, he was from one crime family. She was from a different crime family, you know, Romeo and Juliet sort of situation. And he got her pregnant. And instead of, you know, raising the kid and trying to do anything like that, he decides that he wants to kill his pregnant girlfriend so that the whole syndicates don't find out and he's worried he's going to get kicked out of the clan or something like that. So he takes a shot at this pregnant girl. Nakano Lash immediately shoots him just before he can fire the shot, preventing him from killing the pregnant girl. So they start to leave the Mourner's Whale Syndicate base with this pregnant girl, and on their way out to Ongor is shot by an unknown sniper. So Nakano Lash then tries to leave with this pregnant girl, and it turns out that this pregnant girl died during childbirth. And that the girl in that story is the girl that Nakano Lash is with now. And it's the girl that Nakano Lash has been protecting and basically raising since she was a baby. Because she believes that she could end the war between the crime syndicates. Because obviously she is a child. And when she gets of age, she'll be, you know, applicable to rule or something along those lines. Of both clans together or both syndicates together. But Nakano Lash confirms that she's actually going to die of something called Numero Grey. 
And numerogray, it looks a little bit like pneumonia, like the first part of the word. I assume that was intentional. And it's basically just a horrible disease. It gets mentioned a little bit elsewhere in canon, but it's not explicitly clear. It's just a pretty unpleasant thing to have. And then issue number four ends with Toonga being shot through the chest by Boba Fett. So on to the fifth and final issue of this arc and the volume itself. So it starts off on Glee Anselm, uh, which is where the Norton species comes from, but there's also certain humans living on there. And a fun little fact I like to tell people is that Kit Fisto, it's his homeworld, but it's also Tobias Beckett's homeworld, which is Woody Harrelson's character from Solo, a Star Wars story. So there's humans there that have the homeworld, and there's also Norton as well. And you've got a couple of parents and a kid sort of walking around, just coming out from the water, walking around like a foresty sort of area. It's confirmed that the kid with them is a young Nakano Lash, and they're outside of the water, and then they get confronted by an Anselmi extremist, and he insults the Nautilans by calling them water breathers. He starts to attack, and Nakano Lash is told to run by her parents, and then time goes by, and then some other Nautilans find Nakano Lash and confirm that she is now an orphan because her parents were killed by these extremists. And from reading between the lines and some of the dialogue, it basically seems like multiple species were sharing the planet of Gleanselm, and these extremists thought that people who live in the water and can breathe underwater should stay in the water, and so obviously kill anyone who comes up from there, which is where this all came from. One line of dialogue that is mentioned is that the galaxy is a cruel place for an orphan. Now, obviously, you hear that about Nakano Lash, and it confirms why she had such a duty in herself to try and save this girl of these two crime syndicates. So it cuts back to now, and it shows that Boba Fett is going to kill everyone there. He doesn't care about the crime war or anything like that. And before he can say much more, Valance then attacks Boba. They tussle, and this has got some of the coolest action scenes in these comics so far. I really recommend picking them up. As I said, they're tussling, they're fighting, shooting each other, hitting each other and whatnot. And Boba Fett slashes some of Valance's skin off his face, calling him a droid. So more of the synth skin is coming off Valance's face. He's looking more and more like a robot in essence. And after Boba Fett calls him a droid, Valance doesn't like that very much. He yells at him and then shoots him with a hand blast. So it finally seems to be working now. He comments that it wasn't full power and it shouldn't have killed Boba Fett as because he shoots Boba Fett and he kind of falls off this railing thing and then Boba Fett immediately uses a jetpack flies up and then uppercuts Valance pretty hard and then wraps him with a bioenergy disruptor. Now it's confirmed that Valance doesn't like to kill fellow bounty hunters it's one of the reasons why he didn't kill Bosk earlier he just handcuffed him that's one of the reasons why he didn't shoot Boba with full power. So when Boba gets Valance with this bioenergy disruptor, it's basically like an electro whip. It's just a thin sort of metal thing that he wraps around Valance and it electrocutes him. And Boba comments that he got that especially for Valance. And while this is all going on, Nakano Lash tells the girl to leave her as Nakano's time has passed. And this girl's name is Cadelia or Cadelia. C-A-D-E-L-I-A-H. So it's either Cadelia or Cadelia. So after Valance is incapacitated by Boba Fett, he says to Nakano Lash that she deserves to die for what she pulled, and then it does another flashback. So it's got Boba and Valance, who are the ones when this whole sort of thing started. You've got Bosk and the client and Tongor and Nakano Lash, who all go into the Unbroken Clan Syndicate's base, while Boba Fett and Valance stay outside to kind of keep an eye on things. So Boba hears about the mission was failed after Tongor, he contacts them and says, Nakano Lash has just killed the client, we need to get out of here ASAP. So Boba Fett says that to Valance that we need to kill Nakano Lash, it's the only way to survive, otherwise the Mourner's Whale Syndicate are going to be all over them, and that's some sort of heat that Boba Fett just does not need. 
So Boba then goes to shoot Nakano Lash, but Valance pushes him out the way, and as he pushes him, a shot comes out. That shot from Boba Fett's rifle hits Toongor and kills him. So the death of Toonga's brother is actually caused by Boba trying to kill Nakano Lash, but Valance pushing him and it hitting Toongor. Then the Unbroken Clan emerge, even more of them. Seemingly all the commotion and the shooting and everything, they managed to do it quite quietly getting into the base, but assumedly due to the shooting and etc, it made a lot of noise, which alerted the rest of the Unbroken Clan. So the Unbroken Clan come out, start shooting, Boba Fett dives off the balcony that they're on and then flies away because obviously he's got his jetpack, but Valance is captured by the clan. Nakano Lash manages to flee with the pregnant woman, and as confirmed, you know, she then eventually dies of childbirth, but Valance is then tortured by General Vakura, who obviously showed up earlier. And they're torturing him, asking where Nakano Lash is. He says he doesn't know, but he also said even if he did know, he wouldn't tell them anyway. It cuts back to now, and it shows that Vakura is now in the Rusan system, because obviously Nakano Lash contacted her to surrender. She's scanning the ships to find the broken wing, and while this is going on, Nakano Lash is shooting at Boba Fett. Once again, she tells Cadalia to run away and escape on Valance's ship, and Boba Fett then grabs Nakano Lash and says that she has to die because she damaged his reputation, and he then stabs her with a knife, which is pretty intense. Valance then grabs Boba and hits him a couple times, and then Boba shoots some flamethrowers at Valance, and then the ship rumbles as it gets hit by Vakura's ship, who is now firing upon them. So the ship starts to fall apart, Boba Fett says he basically came what he wanted to do, and Nakano Lash isn't going to survive, so he bails, and Valance tries to save Nakano Lash. There's like a bit of debris that's kind of split between them, but he can't quite lift it. He wants to save her, he's desperate to do it, like she saved him, which he mentions when, you know, going back to that flashback a couple of issues ago where he was just in that bar drinking himself to death in essence. Nakano Lash says to just take her rifle and leave her, she's going to die anyway because obviously she's got that illness too, and save Cadelia, that needs to be his number one priority. He promises her that he'll do his best and then goes to a ship, finds Cadelia there and she confirms that she can fire the ship because she's not a baby and the ship immediately just flies away from all the wreckage and stuff that it was, and manages to escape. Vakura vows to track down the kid because she doesn't want her to, you know, undo everything that's going on because General Vakura is basically being able to run around and do whatever she wants, but this kid would be the rightful heir to both clans and would basically stop Vakura doing whatever she wants. And the final panels of this comic show that Cadelia is very upset. She says she has no one. Valance says that he has promised to protect her and he'll do his best, and that he knows someone who can help. Someone that he hasn't seen in a long time. And that, my friends, is where this comic ends. I want to just quickly add here that Nakano Lash, at one point, she surrendered to the Broken Clan and Vakura and things, and she comments that the reason she did this was because if Valance didn't find her in a moment of weakness, she thought it would be better to maybe give the kid to the Broken Clan Syndicate better than just letting Boba Fett kill her. So that is one of the reasons I forgot to mention it ever so slightly earlier. But, um, that's the end of the first volume of the Bounty Hunters run. It's a really, really cool comic, but it is one of those ones where the Bounty Hunters comics are full of lots of action sequences and things. And as you guys are aware, I do just kind of skip over those sort of elements. I just give you the brief information. But as I always say, you know, pick up the comics, either spend money on them or check them on Marvel Unlimited or anything like that, just to support the creators and things. And obviously in that same vein, I spoke with 
Paolo Villanelli. And as I said in the intro thing, it was a really cool conversation when we spoke about Bounty Hunters a bit and drawing, and I just asked him some questions about kind of behind the scenes stuff of things that we don't necessarily know as comic book readers, you know, how much influence he has um, as an artist, what kind of things he gets to do, um, how long things take, how far in advance they're doing things. It was a really, really interesting conversation, and I can't wait to release it for you guys. Uh, as I said, it should be released around early November sort of time. Um, obviously, I'll mention it in here when I do, but the best thing to do is follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. And you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is Genuine Chit Chat. And you'll be kept up to date with all those things because there will be a video version of my conversation with Paolo. So what else have we got coming up then, my friends? So next week is actually going to be Halloween weekend. So I'm doing a little Halloween special. It's still canon, still Star Wars comics, but it's going to be the Star Wars Adventures comics, Tales from Vader's Castle. Now they're not done by Marvel. They're actually done by IDW. So I think this is the first IDW uh, comics I'm tackling on the show. And there there are plenty. I haven't got them all. Um, I've been collecting all the High Republic Adventures comics by Daniel Jose Older, and they are absolutely incredible. I actually think I somewhat prefer them to the standard High Republic comics, even though they're both excellent, I just think there's certain elements in the story of the High Republic Adventures and the artwork is just really, really cool. And there's, there's a lot of other little bits there that I like. But as I said, I think in previous episodes, I'm going to be probably tackling the High Republic stuff uh, towards the start of 2022. But anyway, IDW also do Star Wars comics and things and they are canon, but they're generally aimed for a much younger audience and they're usually anthology stories. There's a few that aren't, but most of them are. Uh, the Horror Public Adventures ones aren't, but the Tales from Vader's Castle is basically horror comics that are suitable for all ages. Uh, each batch of them, there's five, I believe. And so there's Tales from Vader's Castle, Return to Vader's Castle, and Ghosts of Vader's Castle. Ghosts of Vader's Castle is being released right now. I think sort of October time was basically each week one gets released, and I've already got two of them. Um, I may tackle them. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't really figured out when I'm going to be tackling them. It seems that one gets released each year, and I don't really want to be, you know, two years behind every time so maybe partway through next year or something I'll tackle Return to Vader's Castle and then maybe next Halloween I'll do Ghosts from I don't know I'll figure it out but you know we'll see how they go I have still not yet read them I'm going to be reading them this week and I'm quite excited to do so the week after that, I'm then going to be tackling the fourth edition of the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event, which is going to be the penultimate uh, sort of issues in a sense, because the fifth issue is where it all kind of seemingly ends. Once that all finishes, there's then going to be the Crimson Rain miniseries, which I think is like a sequel series talking about what else happens to Kira and things like that, because obviously Crimson Dawn is all heavily involved and whatnot. Uh, and then, as you know, the week after that, I'm then going to embark on the first volume of the 2020 run of Darth Vader comics by Greg Pak, uh, which are quite interesting. They link in with the Rise of Skywalker quite well, uh, and there's some quite interesting elements on Mustafar. So I do think it's quite cool. There are a couple of bits that are a bit odd, but still a fun comic to read. So that's generally where we're going to be going. And then I think the week after that will probably be the main run of Star Wars comics off the top of my head. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing from here. I have also started recording my book review for The Rising Storm, which is the second adult novel and the phase one wave two of the High Republic stuff and The Rising Storm is an absolutely incredible book so started recording that so that'll probably get released at some point um, I don't know if I'll I'll definitely release it after War of the Bounty Hunters 4 because I'm you know jonesing to release that so I'll either release the book review you know a week after War of the Bounty Hunters or maybe the week after I haven't really figured that out yet but um, yeah that's generally what's on my plate at the moment um, but yeah aside from that guys there's not really much else to add aside from I've been on the Star Wars Timeline podcast once again 
It's only available on YouTube, but uh, I was on there a little while ago and I did the three trilogies. Myself and Ben, the host, discussed the three trilogies, how they compare some of the flaws and things with them and some of the good things about them too. Uh, and then I recently did an episode for The Force Awakens where we spoke for like an hour and a half about The Force Awakens, things that went well, things that didn't, spoke about our opinions there. And obviously we don't agree on everything, which is good, healthy conversation. We just recorded our version of The Last Jedi, so that's going to be out very soon as well. And then soon we're going to be doing The Rise of Skywalker as well. So make sure you subscribe to Star Wars Timeline on YouTube. There is a link in the description to their channel. And as I said, Ben is absolutely amazing. He's, he's such a cool guy and he's, you know, it's really nice being able to chat with him about Star Wars and stuff on the odd occasion on Facebook and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, stuff is in the description. And also, you know, if you haven't listened to it already, go over to YouTube and check out my chat with Star Wars Explained. It's Alex and Molly. Really, really cool thing. And a lot of my conversations of genuine chit chat and now have video. Not all of them, but some of them, especially the newer ones and things. So I'm trying to get a bit more video things, a bit more of a presence on YouTube. So if you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed on YouTube, please go over there and subscribe. Just because if you get 100 subscribers on YouTube, you can then change the link to the channel to be, you know, youtube.com slash you know, whatever you want the channel to be called. So mine would be genuine chit chat. But the moment is like this 25 letter code thing, which is just impossible to remember. And it just looks gross. So if you could do me a big solid guys, please go over to YouTube, subscribe to genuine chit chat. I'll make sure there's a link in the description. And uh, so you can get these numbers up to 100. And then I can call it youtube.com slash genuine chit chat. Because I'll be nice and easy. And then everything is kind of universally just at genuine chit chat. Aside from that guys, check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. If you give at least little as one pound month you get access to the audio feed and you can put the link into whatever you listen to your podcasts and you basically get access to lots of things early normally i release book reviews a few days early on there um, there's also me and megan do afterthoughts we're currently watching some horror films and stuff we've just done some shits creek uh, narcos a few other things the halloween movies obviously the first two i mentioned weren't horror stuff we've been watching a lot of cool horror things as well and we either talk about new films spoiler free we talk about series spoiler free or we talk about you know films that have been out for a little bit and we go into the depth of those we've done star wars we're going to be doing harry potter i think as well um we've been doing a lot of the marvel films so if you want to support this show as well as genuine chit chat and you have a little bit of money to spare each month as there's one pound a month and you get access to a whole another audio feed where you get hours of additional content every month so um please consider checking out link is in the description but aside from that guys thank you so much for listening as always i appreciate each and every one of you if you're listening on youtube please subscribe if you're listening on any podcast player you know please make sure you check out all the other amazing shows on this very feed of comics in motion and also please review the show you know you can do it on good pods you can do it on Podmatch, you can do it on apple podcasts you can do it in all kinds of different places leave comments on youtube tell your friends share on social media all those sorts of things i appreciate it a huge huge amount but anyway guys thank you as always for listening i will talk to you guys next week with the halloween special and as always may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.